Blood Brothers Podcast, a Five Pillars of Mad Monarchs production. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, dear brothers, sisters, friends, and foes out there, and welcome to another episode of the Blood Brothers Podcast with your host, Dili Hussein. Today, I have a very esteemed guest, uh, a very celebrated figure of the Muslim community. Someone who, as a young teen, grew up watching the debates with the Christians. So I don't know what that means in terms of age for our guest. And that is none other than my dear brother, Ustad Adnan Rashid. Assalamualaikum. Wa alaikum salam. I am getting old. You don't look it though. You are ripping the way I was looking. Uh, you look younger on, than me. Uh, as they say, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Oh, mashallah. It depends who's looking at me. Do you do any paintwork on the hair? No. So that's pure natural black? Yes. Natural beauty. MashaAllah. Alhamdulillah. 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 <laughs> Adama, let me kick off today's podcast by setting a scenario. You're on a boat trip hmm. on your own hmm. for seven days. And I'm going to give you two options. You have to choose one. So think of a seven day boat ride on your own. Tik? Dudpati or pink tea? Dudpati. Naan or roti? Roti. Chicken or lamb? Lamb. Halwa or kheer? Halwa. Books of theology or books of history? History. Seven days of Imam Ahmed, rahimahullah, or Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah? Imam Ahmed. Imam Ahmed, rahimahullah, or Shah Waliullah Dalawi, rahimahullah? Imam Ahmed. Muhammad Ali Jinnah, or Alama Iqbal? Iqbal. Dr. Zakir Naik or Dr. Israr Ahmed? Dr. Israr Ahmed. Sultan Aurangzeb or Khalif Abdul Hamid? Aurangzeb. Very interesting. Quite. Th- those responses were. I the- can qual- qualify every single one of those choices. Go- okay, so, okay, so let me- and each one of those requires a podcast in itself. Okay, so just very briefly, I can understand Imam Ahmed. The hmm. don of the Hanbali, the fan of the He Hanbali. made Ibn yeah. Exactly. Khalas. So why would you go to the product? So Jinnah, so when you said Alama Iqbal over Muhammad Ali Jinnah, why is that? Iqbal made Jinnah. And? Iqbal went to Jinnah and invited him to get involved in the politics. Of, of course, Jinnah was already involved, but he had given up. Iqbal inspired him to come back and lead the Muslims. And why is Thar Ahmad over Dr. Zakir Naik? Uh, because Dr. Asrar Ahmed had a deeper knowledge of the Quran than Dr. Zakir Naik has. Uh, both are very valuable, of course, but Dr. Z- I would say Dr. Asrar Ahmed was a lot bigger scholar, theologically speaking, than Dr. Zakir Naik is. Now, I presented Sultan Aurangzeb mm-hmm. against Khalif Abdul Hamid, who's mm-hmm. also equally, if not a greater mm-hmm. giant mm-hmm. Yeah, of modern Islamic history. Mm-hmm. Is that because of your Mughal history bias you chose? Potentially, yes. Uh, Partly because of that and partly because I believe Aurangzeb achieved more than Sultan Abdul Hamid as a ruler. As a ruler? As a ruler, yes. Okay, we can touch upon that. He had more control over his domain than Sultan Abdul Hamid did. Really? Yeah, Aurangzeb acquired territory, didn't lose it. Sultan Abdul Hamid unfortunately lost, lost territory. territory. This is true. Yeah. This is true. Yeah. Uh, when I met you three, four days ago, mm. at the time of the recording of this podcast, uh, there was the assassination of Iran's top military general, Qasem Soleimani, mm. uh, by uh, America. And of course, it's caused a massive controversy and, and discussion in the region and beyond about whether the death of this major general, who is considered the second most powerful person in Iran, uh, what it means for the region. Now, there's an interesting thing that you said to me, 
uh, it was that was he a sacrificial uh, giving uh, from Iran to America to advance its agenda in the region? Can you elaborate on what you meant by that? Firstly, let me clarify that there are two perspectives on General Soleimani. Uh, one perspective is the Iranian state perspective, not necessarily the perspective of the people. Uh, the state perspective is that he was a hero of Islam. He fought for Iranian interest in the region. He was heading many conflicts on the part of uh, the Iranian government mm. in Yemen, mm. in Syria, in Iraq, most importantly. And for that reason, he was a hero for the Iranian regime, the current Iranian regime. Mm. I separate the people from the regime because the people uh, can... Uh, can differ with the regime, mm. and many do, as we know from uh, recent events, that there were protests in Iran, many thousands were killed, mm. uh, depending on perspe perspectives again, depending on who's reporting, uh, it could be hundreds, it could be thousands, and at the same time, um, people can be on, on the side of the regime, mm. as we know, hundreds of thousands turned up uh, for his funeral, it was so massive. He, was, he was clearly very popular mm. among hundreds of thousands of people, so that cannot be ignored. That's one perspective, that he was a hero, he did his job to the best of his ability, mm. he gave his life, the best part of his life, to the cause of the Iranian Revolution, uh, which started in 1979, and this is one perspective. The other perspective is the larger regional, if you call it the Sunni perspective, okay? The Sunni perspective on this per person is, uh, completely the opposite, that he butchered hundreds of thousands of people in Syria. He's uh, responsible for the conflict in Yemen, um, which is causing hundreds of thousands of deaths because of starvation, because of uh, other limits or other problems caused by war in that region. He was responsible for killings of Sunnis in Iraq, and when I say Sunnis, I don't mean ISIS. Of course, the credit uh, must be given where it's due. Iran must be credited by uh, for uh, fighting ISIS. But there is okay. a conflation with mm. certain pro-Iran elements where fighting Daesh literally becomes a justification of cleansing Sunni towns and villages, right? That's well, it did uh, for some reason, unfortunately, in Iraq. And these reports cannot be ignored because this is not... Uh, rhetoric, or this is not just uh, uh, these are not rumors. No, no, Human Rights Watch issued issued reports exactly on, on, on Iraq death squads. Yeah, and they were Iranian Mosul, Mosul, Umbar, entire towns. The, the backlash out. fell on innocent Sunni inhabitants of Mosul and Baghdad, yeah. and even uh, places like Fallujah. Mm. Okay, people who had no, nothing to do with war mm. uh, in general, and they were treated as ISIS. Mm. But if you looked at the reality. Um, um, carefully, if you looked at the reality carefully, those people hated ISIS as much as anyone else would do, mm -hmm. right? So, fighting ISIS does not become a justification to completely eradicate uh, Sunni influence or existence from Iraq, okay? So, these are some of the things he was uh, seen to have done, mm -hmm. and this is the Sunni perspective, which I have come to, you know, uh, read recently on... Uh, online and offline, in newspapers, and news reports. Mm. Many documentaries have come out since he has passed away. So he has left two legacies behind, depending on who's looking at him. The Iranian regime 
or people who support the Iranian regime perspective and the other perspective is the largest Sunni uh, world, uh, world, world perspective where people see him as a war criminal, mm. as a murderer, as a mass murderer. So how, it depends. How would you then respond to then in that mm. case when we've had the likes of Recep Tayyip Erdogan who sent his condolences uh, mm-hmm. to Iran, reportedly referred to Soleimani as a Shaheed. Uh, we had Hamas, uh, Ismail Haniyeh, who was there at the funeral himself, and certain resistance groups within Palestine who have voiced their support and condolences. Um, we've had um, no real voice of opposition and condemnation from any Sunni leadership. Mm-hmm. Yes, from the masses, sure. Yeah. The people of Idlib were celebrating, they were giving sweets out. Even Iraq, yeah, yeah. even the Shias in Iraq were celebrating. Really? Yes, it was reported by Al Jazeera. There are people on the streets of Baghdad celebrating his death. Shias, these are not Sunnis, mm. because there are Shia people in Iraq who want Iran out. And Soleimani's death meant that uh, this would potentially cause Iran to leave, uh, leave Iraq. But we've not yeah. really had any voice. The, the position that you've presented, mm-hmm. uh, which is widely seen as the Sunni position, which, by the way, I tend to agree with, mm-hmm. right? But nevertheless, plain devil's advocate, we've not seen any voice of Sunni leadership come out and say this man just, was a Just criminal. to clarify, by the way, I do not agree with any extrajudicial killing by anyone anywhere in the world. Yeah. So by that virtue, the, the killing, the assassination was an act of barbarity. It was unlawful, in my personal opinion. No, no, it's, it's okay. legit opinion. I don't, I, don't, I don't believe Donald Trump's uh, justification for uh, what he did. Okay, uh, this man had worked previously with America. Mm. He Iran was an ally of the U.S. in Iraq. Both entities were fighting ISIS collectively. Iran was doing the dirty work of the U.S. in uh, Iraq. So, what if so, you made them turn then? What do I, you do, I don't. I don't know if uh, they have turned against each other. No. I, I. I don't believe it. Okay, I, not, okay, not necessarily yeah. turn. But what do you? What do you think triggered the assassination of Qasem Soleimani? This is a very good question. Mm. I don't always believe what I hear on the news. Mm. I mean, I take uh, a lot of the news I hear on mainstream channels with a pinch of salt. Mm. One of the commentators, uh, uh, his name is Bashar, um, from, um, he's a very big uh, Middle East uh, expert on Al Jazeera. I don't know if you know him. Marwan, I think his name is Marwan Bashar. Go on, we can slip uh, his name at the bottom of the screen. Yeah, yeah. He, he came up with a very interesting theory that this could be a reason why Iran would have a respite in the region because Iran was losing hold, um, its hold on power mm. uh, because the people were rising against the regime in Iran, mm. within Iran, as we have seen by recent protests, and people were rising against Iranian influence in Iraq. So this could be a way of... Bringing the nation together. Ir- yes, uh, raising the nationalistic feeling. Yeah. Uh, death to America, death to America slogans. And therefore, again, and, again, and that, that unites the nation. Hundreds of thousands of people will come uh, together um, at the funeral and they will express their condolences for the family as well as the regime mm. for losing such a powerful man, such mm. an important figure of the regime. And this will raise the feeling of nationalism and it will inflate the feeling of hatred against the U.S., and that would strengthen the regime mm. uh, by extension. This was a possible interpretation of the events. But I'm not, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Mm. I'm just trying to make sense of it. Okay. That how can suddenly things go bitter? How, can they go, how can they go bitter like what's that? Your, they, what's your view on the 22 missile attacks which killed no American soldiers? Well, my view is uh, <laughs> very much inclined to what some of the reports have stated, that Iran intentionally, intentionally mm. 
fired missiles uh, at a facility where there were there was no no one there mm. as if to deliberately avoid casualties so that mm. the US does not retaliate with a bigger mm. uh, you know uh, attack i think there's definitely more way more to this incident then then what meets the eye yes. right yes. um there is no shadow of a doubt that iran has played a key role in the region which in in some instances was in absolute accordance with american policy within the region yeah. the fall of taliban the fall of saddam these are two uh, wars which actually strengthened uh, the, the iranian government and its position within the region however we are still left with a wide perception that iran is the bulwark and the rep- and and then the symbol of anti-imperialism in the region right and this is echoed by their support material and financial of the palestinian resistance uh, namely islamic jihad and hamas um and there's still many sunnis who subscribe to this 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 um thinking for example i was looking at the pakistani press and I was looking at Pakistani commentators and they were very mournful over the assassination of Qasem Soleimani the dawn the jung newspaper it was mixed in pakistan the reaction was mixed but there was a fair amount of the, at least from the liberal establishment yes. right yes. that that Qasem Soleimani's yes. assassination was something that was bad yes. and should be condemned so there is still this perception that I, I, even i say that mm. i i say that any extrajudicial killing conducted by anyone is to be condemned so it we, is unlawful so we we we, we, we live or we at least we claim to live in a civilized world which is governed by laws international laws and those laws cannot be transgressed uh, just because someone is powerful doesn't mean you can do what you want but you may hate someone you may hate someone but there is a due process of law we have to follow it is it right? frustrating that the lawmakers themselves are the ones that always break the yes, law yes i mean i was shocked when trump said that he will potentially bomb uh, cultural, cultural sites. sites which is absolutely shocking mm. this is what isis was doing mm. I mean I was really devastated when I saw ISIS uh, raiding some of these historic sites being Palmyra a historian being yeah. a student of history you yeah. can imagine what I went through right yeah. of course the human loss is one thing um okay but history cannot be made again mm. okay history it, it cannot be reinvented okay if you have lost historical objects if you have lost historical evidence it is lost forever you will never recover it again mm. unfortunately so i was devastated by that for the us president to make a statement like that mm. it was very shocking for myself right so um law cannot be break br- broken uh, you can't break the law uh, when you feel that you hate someone and you want to take action and you want to really hurt them by attacking the cultural sites or attacking the civilians for that matter or attacking hospitals and and you know schools and uh, you know civilian institutions this is not this this is not allowed this shouldn't be allowed in fact the the world should unite against such behavior do you think sunnis yeah. at least in syria and iraq and those who have felt the brunt mm. of the iranian regime's uh, policies in those countries do you think we should support a, uh, an american led war against iran i don't think we support we should support any power in that region we should support peace okay harmony uh we what we what we should ask for is um dismantling of arms foreign armies leaving those lands going back to their homelands leaving this region to itself and let the leaders of these regions decide what the fate of the region is uh we have too many players foreign players testing their weapons on innocent people 
We have Russia in there. We have the U.S. in there. We have Britain in there. Uh, we have France in there. Okay, these are very powerful nations with deadly weapons, and some of them are actually testing their weapons on this region. We are not guinea pigs. People of this region, the Muslims, have had enough. So they must leave the region, and there shouldn't be a war. We shouldn't take sides against anyone, no matter how much we hate. We might hate one party, for example, against the other, and we might we might start thinking of supporting one party against the other. We shouldn't do that. Okay. Again, what's going to happen? The powerful, they won't suffer. Trump will be in his office. The Iranian regime, the, 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 the current Iranian political establishment, they won't be harmed. It's the people. It's the innocent people in Iran, in Iraq, or in uh, the middle, wider Middle East. They're going to suffer. They will be bombed. They will be starved. They will be like what's happening in Yemen right now. So this is why I believe Iran should pull out of Yemen it should pull out of Syria, it should pull out of uh, Iraq, and let there be peace, mm. okay? I believe both of these powers have caused immense damage to the peace of the region. Tika. Now, obviously moving a bit more closer to home, uh, India. Now, since Modiji has been in power, the, uh, India has taken quite a nasty turn, right? Uh, where many of these sentiments, these anti Muslim Islamophobic sentiments what I would humbly argue were always there in Indian society has now become very apparent and the ugly underbelly of kind of a Hindutva RSS kind of ideology uh, has now become very apparent uh, especially in state policy so we've had the Citizenship Amendment Act which basically states that any migrants or refugees from Pakistan, Bangladesh, Afghanistan uh, that are Hindu, Sikh, Jain or Christian will be given citizenship explicitly excluding Muslims then we've had the National Register of Citizenship which was rolled out in Assam uh, potentially looking at 1.9 million people predominantly Muslims of Bengali uh, ethnicity that can be in detention camps uh, last year, earlier on, we had the revoking of Article 370 and 35A in Kashmir and within a space of a year we're seeing all these kind of policies what is the future looking like for Muslims of India? Which numbers more than Bangladesh and Pakistan? The future looks very grim. Yeah. And this is the future the founding fathers of Pakistan could envision in uh, the, the earlier part of the 20th century. They could see this coming. Hence the necessity of Pakistan. That's why Pakistan and Bangladesh was created. Because those founding fathers could not trust the majority Hindu rule. Um, because it, it, it could go anywhere. It could go towards secularism, which it did for a mm. few decades, mm. or it could also go towards extreme right-wing um, Hindu nationalism. Hindu nationalism, which is what we're which seeing is right what now. we're seeing right now: the rise of Hindu nationalism. Mm. And Modi had a landslide victory, and democracy has failed, unfortunately. Mm. And we, it has failed globally. Are we saying democracy has failed? Let's say talk about India specifically. Are, are we saying democracy has failed because the Indians chose their leader in landslide? No, I'm saying democracy has failed as a system globally. Okay, if this is what democracy is, if this is what it does, then it has to be reviewed. Okay, if democracy brings people like Modi to power, mm. okay, someone who was accused of uh, genocide in Gujarat in, in Gujarat, 2003. Yes. If democracy can bring someone like Trump to power, who was accused of abusing women and using vulgar language mm -hmm. against uh, 
uh, minorities of women, and disability, blacks and Mexicans. Blacks, Hispanic, and, uh, he, he, he has hurt every single entity on the planet. But, he's okay. re- but he is representative of a large constituency of his voters. Well, this is why Iqbal, mm. the philosopher of the East, stated yeah. in a very powerful uh, stanza mm. that Translation, please. Translation is that uh, an Englishman, an Englishman, he exposed this secret to me as not very often the wise reveal it to others. That democracy is a way of governing in which you count people, you don't weigh them. So when you start counting, when a philosopher's vote or when a, when a scholar's vote is equal to someone to who is, who's, yeah, uh, so, some, like, this is the same uh, what, what Plato criticized in democracy uh, in his Republic. Okay? The Republic is one of the best critiques of democracy. Okay. It is one of the best critiques of democracy. This is what he said, that in, in, in a de- democratic system, Someone who has no knowledge, has no awareness. His vote is equal to that of a Equal to thinker. someone who is a thinker, someone who, has, who is educated, someone who is a philosopher. This is not fair. This is absolutely devastating. And this is exactly what we're seeing right now. In this system, the current system we have in the world, masses can be manipulated by newspapers, by power, by money, by glitter, by spectacle, mm. right? And they can be conditioned into voting for some of the worst people in the society. Mm. And this is exactly what we're seeing right now. Okay, we're seeing um, the, the embodiment of that failure of democracy in, if, these, in these people. If you could have the ears of the leadership of different Indian Muslim communities, whether it be ulama, whether it be political leaders, if you had their ears for five minutes, mm. what advice would you give them from your own perspective as a historian as someone who follows the events of the region quite closely mm-hmm. uh, in terms of uh, I, I know it's very for me to say Adnan Rashid give an action plan for the Muslims of India is quite crazy but mm. if you could share some thoughts mm. with the leadership of the Muslims of India yeah. regarding the current situation what would it be without rubbing in their face like, hey look this is yeah. what Pakistan was because yeah. I'm seeing that a lot yeah. I'm seeing a number of commentators and even lay Muslims who are from Pakistan that hey look this was the wisdom of uh, Jinnah Saab and look this is why Pakistan was created etc and, yeah. and, and I feel that's a bit whilst you can appreciate that from a hindsight perspective when Muslims of India are literally being lynched up and down the country yes, they are, to yeah. tell them, by the way, guys, look, this is why Pakistan was created. I feel yeah. that's a bit, you know, just rubbing salt on the wound and it yeah. could even make them entrenched even further in we are proud to be a Muslim. So what, right. so what could you potentially tell the Muslims of India, their leadership with regards to... I, I would uh, tell them, immediately unite. Mm. Unite without delay and do not stop your movement. Do not be... Um, discouraged by accusations, by misrepresentations of the regime against the Muslims, and unite with the non-Muslims. Mm. Because there are many non-Muslims in India who are very moral, ethical, they're very upright in the politics, and they are the ones who are defending the Muslims now. Muslims have effectively become second-class citizens after the passing of this bill. Mm. Now, by law, 
Muslims are now second class citizens. Quite, yeah, literally. Well, the, the, literally, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. If you are passing a law and you you are completely um, ignoring, excluding yeah. Yeah. an entire minority from a country, from the a largest large country, minority. the, the largest, largest minority, minority, which runs into hundreds of millions. Yeah. If you are excluding them from a law, you are discriminating against them um, based upon religion. they become effectively second class citizens mm. people talk about isis people are talking about taliban videos mm. from the 90s where they were beating people in the streets and there was so much noise about that mm. on cnn on nbc fox news bbc mm. sky news all of these international channels are running shows mm. talk shows debates uh, on the barbarity of the of the east for months okay, for absolutely for months it hasn't end. stopped <laughs> right There are lynching videos coming out of India. There are people who are being killed and they are th- these people are not even hiding their faces. Mm. Those who are doing the killings, right? They are killing in the name of Hinduism and they are not 1 2 3 many. We are talking about hundreds of thousands of people who actually sympathize with that view. Mm. India needs to be reconditioned. The minds of the people in India they need to be reconditioned they need to be re-educated because they have been radicalized mm. they have been they are Hindu ISIS mm. I'm sorry to use the language mm-hmm. but they are Hindu ISIS they are Hindu Nazis the current regime governing India the BJP uh, regime but, 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 but would the comparison I know why you made the comparison but ISIS let's be frank about it is still a fringe beyond fringe absolutely whereas this is mainstream yes unfortunately that's the problem this is mainstream that's the problem this is why it's more dangerous isis was never okay. mainstream this is an alarming situation isis ideology their fiqh their whatever it was has been rejected it's been rejected it has been rejected by 99.9% of whereas the muslims whereas hindutva rss bjp ideology is wide, mainstream has a wide support from canada from the us why are these people not okay look in the west muslims are always taunted mm. why don't you do enough against extreme and we are screaming and shouting from our mosques mm. from the pulpit yep, yep. from uh, our scholars to our lay people are saying hold on these people are your product they have nothing to do with our civilization mm. isis is not our civilization I've produced i've not seen i've not seen that from hindu representative groups Generally they are speaking, openly not, celebrating yes. the the it's like Hitler when he came to power mm. in 1933 yep. okay you can call it a sham election or yeah, yeah. you know whatever you know it was a rigged election or it was influenced he still had a massive constituency uh, yeah, absolutely he he was very popular as yeah. a leader that yeah. doesn't make him right yeah. okay uh, likewise on a bigger scale unfortunately what's happening in this case in the case of India and BJP governing India mm. okay it is very clear some of the major players some of the major ministers and politicians are using extremely vulgar divisive genocidal language against the muslim population mm. if not others mm. okay people like uh, yogi adityanath yes. okay the the, the chief what, minister the cm of uttar pradesh the mm. largest province of yeah. india mm. that province alone has as much population as pakistan has mm. uh, you know it's over 200 million people mm. in that particular province mm. he is governing the largest population in india he is clearly openly making genocidal statements biased prejudiced statements he's justifying his behavior he's justifying the police we have seen the videos coming out where police in this particular province is going into muslim properties smashing cars throwing stones shout, stone, shouting shout, raping terrorizing yeah, yeah. terrorizing a population of 
millions mm. we're not talking about a neighborhood we're not mm. talking about a town mm. we're talking about millions of people are being terrorized systematically by the state apparatus mm. we have thousands of policemen walking into muslim neighborhoods smashing properties cars uh, houses windows walking into homes beating people up women yep. and children yep. we have seen all these videos come yeah, out no yeah. one can deny thanks to social media yeah, thanks yeah. to facebook and yeah, youtube yeah. and all that okay all of this has come out they cannot deny we it, saw right? what happened in aligarh muslim university jamia yeah. islamia um, university yeah. where and they were going into campuses they, they, was, they were beating up peaceful protesters and Joanne Nehru, yes, uh, yes. University Joanne, recently, recently as well recently, yes where Mass some thugs. of the indian celebrities yeah. uh, uh you know they have come out some of the some of the actors mm. they have come out and they supported so a lot of good people moral people uh are supporting muslims in this muslims should take full advantage of this uh to for 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 the goodness of india mm. we, what do we want for india we the muslims globally the ummah what do we want for india india is a beautiful country mm. it is uh rich in history muslims governed india uh for nearly a thousand years parts of india mm. and muslims govern india with love mm. although there are haters on the other side who claim that india was devastated by muslim invasions india was mistreated by muslims indian populations were devastated colonized uh, looted, col- looted oppressed pol- yep. yeah oppressed all of that mm. but let me tell you something just to just to you know refute this particular claim muslim sultans during the delhi sultanate period who are mamluks in right the the mamluks yeah. of india right they were muslims and they were the most powerful entities politically speaking and militarily speaking in india mm. uh for almost two centuries okay if not more the 13th and the 14th century both centuries much of these centuries was spent by the sultans defending india against mongols against the mongols the mongols invaded india at times on yearly basis mm. sometimes monthly basis mm. Mongols did not disappear. Mm. Sultan Ghiasuddin Balban, right? He lost his son in a battle against mm. Mongols. Mm. His heir apparent, someone who was supposed to succeed his father and he never recovered from this yeah. loss. So Sultan died in uh, 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 grieving for his son, right? Then came the Khiljis. Okay? Khiljis fought the Mongols, okay? People can claim oh they were defending their own government, their own mm. power. But no, mm. no, no, no. they were defending india you can't because there were hindus mm. in the armies mm. this sultan this was not a purely muslim establishment the delhi sultanate had hindu, had hindu generals fighting side the same with the moguls mm. the moguls had hindu rajput mm. and jat at times mm. generals fighting side by side with the moguls against the enemies okay some of the major some of the biggest generals in the mogul armies Or were Hindus. So how do you counter the fact that whilst they were defending India against Mongols yeah. and foreign invaders, that when they weren't doing that, they were too busy uh, isolating and, and and disenfranchising and oppressing Hindus? That when they, they weren't doing if, that, if they, would, they were oppressing Hindus, why would they have Hindus in their armies as generals? It's a good question, isn't it? Mm. It's a question. If they were oppressed, were those Hindus siding with them? No. Mm. These these were times, very very disturbing times, barbaric times. uncivilized times there were no international there was no international law governing countries and kings and armies mm. okay and if you look at the muslim period okay comparatively it was a lot more peaceful uh, when you look at the larger scale okay of course 
Muslims never had peace in this region. And it was, and it was never utopian. The Middle Ages were full of wars, rebellions. And there was no attacks. such period as a utopian period. No, no there's so no utopia. There is no utopia. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah. What we have to see is, we have to see the behavior of the Muslim sultans comparatively mm. uh, against those who, who were there in India, mm. uh, you know, for example, from the Hindu background. Mm. Okay. Because Hindu Hindus were the majority even then. So Muslims did not have this policy of uh, oppressing or suppressing Hindus. They never had this policy. In fact, this is why some of the founding fathers of Pakistan, having studied the history of India carefully, they knew anytime, unfortunately, some who, of the Hindus would, came to power. Who would you regard as the founding fathers of Pakistan? Beyond Muhammad Ali Jinnah, who were the founding I fathers? I would say, who? if you were to go back in history, I would say Shah Waliullah laid the foundations. Okay. Okay. He gave the political theory okay. to the Muslims of India how to govern effectively, how to govern justly, very importantly, in his books like Hujjatullah al-Baliga and his, uh, uh, you know, encyclopedia called Izalatul Khifa An Khilafatil Khulafa, where mm. he uh, defended the concept of Khilafa mm. in Islam and what an ideal Khilafa should look like. Mm. You know, just because someone claims to be a Khalifa doesn't make him a Khalifa, like mm. ISIS Caliphate is mm. not a Caliphate. We Far don't accept it. it as a Caliphate. Not. Okay, they claimed it. Mm. If you wear a badge, then mm. I'm a surgeon or Do, I'm doesn't I'm make you a surgeon. I mean, it does. If you if you if you if you are a cobbler, yeah. okay. If you some if you're someone who, who's a butcher from an abattoir, mm. okay, and you claim to be a surgeon, yeah. just by by the virtue of cutting things up, yeah. right? You don't become a surgeon. You're a butcher, right? Okay. Likewise, Chawalullah, he gave a proper theory of a proper caliphate. Anyone else? Okay. Uh, at that time in India, it's just a bit like over a I period. Mean, I mean, if you go back, of course, there are so many other individuals: uh, Ibn Taymiyyah, Imam mm. Al-Mawardi, mm. and uh, Imam Ghazali. Okay, forget about, about more to, more towards the, the the theory that Pakistan or there should be a separate state for Muslims to Sh survive Sh in Sh this Sh region. Shah did not necessarily talk about the separation. Okay, he talked about the necessity of holding on to power mm. to maintain peace and justice. His view was that. If Muslims governed by the rules of Islam properly, India will become a peaceful abode not only for Muslims but non-Muslims. Okay. Shah Waliullah had seen the time of Aurangzeb when he was a child. He, but Maududi was of a similar opinion. He uh, believed that Muslims should remain as part of India because eventually we can rule India like we have done for no, centuries. Under a democracy it would be impossible because the, the, the British colonial establishment mm. would leave democracy behind because mm. that's what they planned. Although they were themselves ruling by dictatorship because mm. colonialism is mm. by default dictatorship, mm. right? But when they would leave India, they would leave it as a democracy. And therefore, a dem democracy. And therefore demographically against... Demographically, Muslims would be worse off and uh, Muslims would have lost severely. And th these arguments that collectively Muslims of Bangladesh and Pakistan and what we have in India, mm. they would have outdone the Hindus democratically uh, and they would have been a big power. This, this, this argument doesn't work because Muslims were and are demographically so sparse in India that they cannot effectively make a change. To this day, how many Muslim MPs do we have in the Indian Parliament? We have nearly three hundred million Muslims in India. Mm, they are all they are all divided. They are all divided demographically, mm. uh, not necessarily ideologically, but demographically. They are all in different places. Okay, that's why they can they cannot have 
an impact uh, democratically. They have to vote for Hindu candidates, mm. those who favor them. National Congress or BJP. Uh, yes, exactly. Mm. They have to vote for them because mm. they have no other option. Mm. A Muslim candidate would simply not win because the majority wouldn't vote for him. Majority is either on the side of Congress, which is secular, liberal type Hindus, mm. okay, or the extreme right-wing, ultra, you know, ultra-nationalist uh, Hindus voting for someone like BJP. So people are very naive when they claim that if Muslims were to be in a democracy. And I, I don't agree with the... the, the, the Jamaat-e-Islam. Yeah, yeah. Jamaat-e-Islami or the scholars of Deoband mm. that we, we would have been better off. No, mm. I believe Iqbal, people like Iqbal, Sir Sayyid, Jinnah, they knew better. They knew better. They knew what was coming. They knew a train was heading their way and it was going to hit them so hard that they would never be able to recover. Like what's happening in India mm. today. How much difference have the Muslims, unfortunately, have made in India? Not because Muslims are incompetent, mm. not because Muslims are incapable. Muslims but, are but, very... But purely due to opportunity, not much at all. Uh, no, because they are marginalized, systematically mm. marginalized from politics. But, they can, but, but, but Indian Muslims can easily turn around and say, well, look at the bloody state of Pakistan. Pakistan itself is not. It's also can that, be argued that it's a failed state. Okay, in Pakistan, as f failure, as failed a state it might be. Yeah. Okay, I don't. Be I don't believe it's a failed state. It's a nuclear power, which is still standing firmly on its feet. Okay, it's enduring all the challenges. It's surrounded by enemies. Okay, uh, and uh, it has effectively, you know, it's survived a, a very dangerous war in Afghanistan. Okay. Uh, Which it also played a key role in. Uh, yes, absolutely, it had to for its survival. Mm. Of course, what do you do? There's, there's a, Russian generals are saying we will have our dinner at, in Karachi. No, no, no. Okay, okay. Yeah. The, the point I'm trying to make is yeah. that Indian Muslims can easily posit back to our brothers in Pakistan yeah. that you talk about this great freedom of being Muslim or being mm. a land for the park. Mm. How did 1971 work out for you when your own brothers okay. split away from you? Let me, let me just cut this. So, so, yeah. so how did that work out? Go mm. speak to your brothers in Bengal. Mm -hmm. How did the concept of an Islamic Pakistan work out for them? Your economy at the moment is in tatters. Um, uh, you may be a nuclear state, but it appears that you don't really have much control over when you press that button. It's just there to flex your muscle against India. But um, you got Imran Khan currently, who initially appeared to be a, fr uh, a breath of fresh air from previous administrations, but nevertheless, he's going around with the begging bowl, asking for money and handouts. So, who are you as a Muslim from Pakistan to tell us Indians that we're in tatters and we're okay. in a dire situation? Very. Good questions, valid points. All mm. of them are valid points, and they may be true. Mm. Pakistan is economically um, weak. Mm. Pakistan is politically uh, struggling. Mm. Pakistan is uh, not a model state for the Muslim Ummah to follow. No doubt, it mm. has many weaknesses, many mm. many problems. Okay, I feel a but um, coming. Sorry, I feel a but. Yeah, but <laughs> at the same time, at the same time, in Pakistan, you don't have Muslims being lynched. For slaughtering a cow you have muslims worshiping as they like as divided as they may be or as divided as they are in mm. pakistan there is sectarianism in pakistan mm. there has been shia sunni sectarianism in pakistan it mm. has caused problems in the recent past there has but been army brutality uh, in the in the tribal areas unfortunately yes there, there has been some brutality which has caused some but this brutality was against elements who were trying to completely dismantle the state they were completely they were against the, the idea of Pakistan. They were trying to destroy the country from within. 
and they were working for foreign powers. So in order to handle them, the army had to, they couldn't, you can't just sit around. I mean, if, you, if you're the guard of a building and you can see someone putting fire to the building, you have to do something, right? And in the process, unfortunately, uh, I'm, no doubt, military made mistakes, no doubt. I'm not a spokesperson for the military. Take, that's fine. I'm not a spokesperson for the, the government of Pakistan. They have a lot of improve, uh, improvements to do. There's a lot to improve, but Pakistan still has its Islamic identity. Muslims can walk the streets of Pakistan without fear of persecution. Muslim, Pakistan basically represents the civilization of Islam in India, which goes back a thousand years. Okay, which goes Pakistan. I mean, sometimes it's funny to think about it. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with this kind of rhetoric and language. But even the missiles, if you look at the Pakistani military apparatus, okay, mm. uh, what what are they called? They're all, okay. na they're all named after named great after Islamic figures. Muslim heroes. And they're religion. not necessarily heroes. Mm. Mm. I mean, I don't believe Ghaznavi, Sultan Mahmoud Ghaznavi was necessarily mm. a, a hero of Islam. Mm. Okay? He was a king who was yeah. doing what... He, he kings was, do. What, exactly. What kings loot, do. Yeah. raid, uh, <laughs> accumulate wealth, money, and make yourself mm. powerful mm. And, uh, and recruit armies mm. to become more powerful. Likewise, Ghoris, they were doing the same thing. Mm. The daily sultans were doing this. They mm. were not. We're not saying they were angels. Mm. So when we try, we, when we try to paint them, as, romanticize them, and we try, we try to paint them as waliullahs mm. on the musalla mm. crying at night. Mm. They were not like that. Some of them mm. used to drink. Mm. Some of them were, be, but they had a lot of ghira for Islam. Mm. You cannot take that away from them. Okay. How do we know that? Look at the coins. Mm. Look at the coins. The language on the coins. Okay. You don't have that language today in. Uh, 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 on any coins from the Muslim world, you go to the currency. Of course, Saudi Arabia is an, exa is, is an exception because the, 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 the flag has the Shahada, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I should, they should reconsider mm. because the flag is being desecrated and it's being used for you know, different all people. Kinds yeah, all right? kinds of things. And, uh, and that disrespects the Shahada. Mm. Okay? But if you look at the Muslim currency today, uh, hardly any country has verses on the Quran or the name of the, the, the central uniting entity uh, the caliph mm. okay for example daily sultanate coins okay if you pick them up you will have the name of the caliph the Even post, yeah, Basit caliph mm. mustasim mm. okay al hakim billah for example mm. his name is there on the coins mm. and these guys are in they have never seen the caliph mm. right but to maintain the islamic identity and their attachment with the the wider muslim civilization mm. they represented islam and muslims of course, in a very imperfect way in India. Mm. Okay, they were not perfect. Coming back to... The problems uh, of Pakistan. Yeah, problems of Pakistan. They are there, of course. Like okay. don't throw, so, the, so the saying of don't throw stones in a, in a, in a glass house kind it, of thing. Yeah? Okay, I, I accept that. But at the same time, if you do a comparison between current day India and current day Pakistan, I can tell you with confidence, in Pakistan, you will not see the lynching of Hindus. There are hundreds of thousands of Hindus in Pakistan, in the province of Sindh. If a Muslim mob was to attack a Hindu village, you know who would fight against them? Muslims probably. Pakistani Muslims mm. from all over the country mm. would rally to support the Hindus. Okay, this rhetoric on Indian news channels you hear that, oh, a Hindu girl was kidnapped mm. and she was forced into Islam. So what they're trying to do is, they're trying to hide their crimes, uh, crimes that are being committed by the current BJP government in India. Uh, some of the, those crimes are genocidal. Yeah, they yeah. are openly xenophobic, Islamophobic, 
and barbaric acts of uh, violence against Muslims happening in India to hide those crimes, what they do is they magnify um, one or two isolated uh, incidents. Isol- isolated incidents in Pakistan, mm. for example. Okay, it is true there have been miscarriages of justice in mm. Pakistan, mm. possibly against minorities. It is true it happens. Mm. It is a huge country, but you what you will not find in Pakistan is a genocide against the minorities. For example, what happened in Gujarat in 2003? What happened against the Sikhs in 1984? Okay, what is happening against Dalits? Okay, uh, or what, what is happening against Muslims now, where there is a mob and a Muslim man is being tortured? People are standing by and watching the torture. Sometimes with police even present. There. Police, police present. Mm. You would never see that in Pakistan. Fortunately, I'll give you proof for that. Recently, less than 10 days ago, there was a man who um, um, basically incited violence against the Sikhs in Nankana Sahib in Punjab, Pakistan, mm. Pakistani side of Punjab. Mm. Okay, And he took a mob of uh, Muslims. Of course, these people are very ignorant. Mm. They, are, they are farmers and peasants you know, mm. who work the fields and they mm. don't know better. Mm. Okay. Mm. They were unfortunately led by this person and he went to the Gurdwara, which is a Sikh holy shrine mm. in uh, Nankana Sahib, which mm. is close, very close to Lahore. Mm. And was this where Guru uh, Nanak was born? Yes, okay. that's the city. And, yep. and they were shouting slogans against yep. the Sikhs and they were threatening the Sikhs. Mm. He was immediately locked up. He was picked up by the state mm. okay, because it happened so quickly. You know, today social media, something yeah. happened. Before the police arrives, cameras are already there. Yeah, it's yeah, live yeah. on Facebook yeah, and people yeah. think nothing. nothing Go and see what happened to him. Not only the, the state, uh, actually, uh, Imran Khan tweeted about this. Mm. He, said, he said, the difference between us and what the Indian government is doing is that we took action against someone who was trying to inspire or instigate violence against the Sikh community and we, the state, protected the community. Mm. On the other hand, we have CMs and prime ministers mm. and, um, you know... Uh, of India. Of India making statements, open, openly Islamophobic, xenophobic statements against a minority and not doing anything effective against lynchings and violence against Muslims. So, so thankfully in Pakistan, we have security for Muslims and for non-Muslims. I am telling you, me as a person, as a Muslim living in Britain who happens to come from Pakistan, if there was violence against Christians or Hindus in Pakistan, Leave violence alone. Even if someone's to, someone was to make speeches against Hindus or Sikhs, I would be one of the first people to arrive back in that country, and I would be making public, uh, you know, speeches. Making I would be organizing protests against such elements. Mm-hmm. Okay, in Pakistan, you do not have anything like that. So, so what you hear on the news on in in, in India mm-hmm. is all lies. All exaggerated, magnified, mm. just to hide their own crime. So I posit the question to you back again, back to the yeah. why has the ideology yeah. of Hindu supremacy mm. uh, become exacerbated and popularized of late? Why has it garnered so much support? Okay, because it has. Okay, we, we can't even call it a fifty-fifty situation. I call it jahl, mm? ignorance, ignorance. The masses, the poor people of India, living in the rural areas, they are very poor, very ignorant about anything in life, apart from the farming and the, the villages. Wanting okay. a Hindu rashta, mm. is there any theological historical basis from your knowledge of a kind of Hindu state, a purist state? No. Has it, has it's, such- it's, it's, it's a very recent idea, 
which was instigated by the British. The British divided Muslims and Hindus on communal communal lines mm. to be able to govern India. Okay, they 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 couldn't afford the Hindus and Muslims uniting mm. uh, against the British rule, mm. and when they did. Uh, lo and behold, we had independence. Yeah. Okay, uh, even in the Indian Mutiny, 1857, it was Hindus and Muslims. Hindus and Muslims fought yeah. against the British yeah. to uh, to gain independence. So the British, more than anyone else, understood that Hindus and Muslims have to be divided. They have to divide for them to be able to govern India uh, for longer, and they created Hinduism. Now you may be thinking, hold on a second, what, what are you saying? British, the British created Hinduism. I am saying the British created Hinduism. Hinduism as in an ideology, as as, as an idea to stand against uh, stand against uh, Islamic identity. Hindus were divided previously. Firstly, Hindu is a Persian word. It is not even uh, a Hindu word. Not from Sanskrit. A, it's not. It's not Sanskrit. No, no. Okay. Hindu is a Persian word which was used by Persian chroniclers and writers. Okay, throughout the Mughal period and beyond. Right, so Hindus are divided into Rajputs, Jats, okay, um, Marathas, okay. This is how they were called. Brahmins. Brahmins, mm. okay. So the, the, uh, Brahmins are basically castes, okay. Mm. Brahmins, uh, uh, Kashtri, Vaish, Shudar. These are four castes. Shudars are the lowest caste who were doing the cleaning work and all that, and they were the not. The point I say is, from your reading of history yeah. and from your research or knowledge of this area, has there ever been a time in India where there was a purest Hindu rule? Like, like we never. Like, like if you speak to Muslims, you can say under Khulafat al-Rashidin, under uh, it was Uwaya. attempted. It was attempted by the Marathas. Okay. Okay. The Marathas were a devastating force in India. Uh, well, they're celebrated now these days. Uh, they are celebrated for the wrong reasons. If you knew the history of the Marathas, Marathas mm. were killing as many Hindus as they were killing Muslims. Marathas are not India-loving uh, entity. In fact, we have evidence to the contrary that Muslim sultans, they loved India more than... The Marathas? Absolutely. The Muslim sultans who are seen as outsiders, mm. they were more local. They were more... They were more of more of sons of the land than the Marathas. But the Marathas were. are being celebrated now because in Bollywood movies, of, in entertainment, absolutely. in in academia, in, in, they are now being yeah, celebrated. In movies like in movies like uh, Ahmed Shah, the Panipat, yes. which is a recent production, recent movie, yep. then Baji Rao and Mustani, yep. and then we have uh, even uh, even another movie um, about Alauddin Khilji was uh, Padmavati. Yes, Padmavati. Okay. Yeah. okay, so these. Hindu rulers of the past, whether they're Maratha or Rajputs, mm. are being celebrated erroneously as okay. part of this wider agenda. Uh, absolutely, to to give rise to this Hindu nationalistic feeling mm. and to justify it somehow historically. There is no historical justification. I'm a student of history. I read scholars, and I uh, I told that line, scholarly line. I'm I. I, I hope I'm not biased and prejudiced. But it's a massive you, claim to say that the Marathas don't represent a sentiment of a purist Hindu state. No, they don't. Why? Because they were destroying. They were. They. Who? Firstly, we have to understand when we study the history of the Marathas. Yeah. Who was fighting the Marathas? The the Mughals were fighting Mar Marathas. This the, is the misconception. The, Af the, Af the Rajputs the, were fighting the Marathas. So were the Mughals. Uh, so were the Mughals. So, so were the, the Jats. Yeah. And so were the Hindus of Bengal. The Hindu Marathas invaded Bengal mm. so many times, and they would simply come in to burn villages, to loot, pollute, and rape. 
they were notoriously known for raping not to spread hindu rule no 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 there was nothing about uh, marathas had muslim generals in the battle of panipat mm. they had a muslim general mm. on their side okay yes and uh, ahmed shah abdali had hindus fighting on his side so there was no hindu uh, of course there was the religious sentiment that was used okay from the the muslim side which was predominantly muslim mm. okay uh, the abdali side okay ahmed shah abdali was the leader mm. and there were people like hafiz rahmat khan mm. the 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 ruler of rohila patans and then there were people like shujaat dola the ruler of the state of awadh who was shia mm. but he had joined uh, uh, the muslim coalition mm. okay to fight against the greater threat which was the marathas okay he knew what would uh, what it would look like if the marathas came to power in north india so he fought side by side with the the predominantly muslim army against the marathas okay and then we had uh, najibuddaulah another yes. pathan ruler yeah. okay so the purpose was to somehow neutralize the maratha threat even shah waliullah had written letters to all major muslim players in the land to highlight the jat and the maratha rise because what were they doing they were simply uh at that time they were simply taking land they were burning pillaging they were raiders marathas were basically raiders marathas were not uh, established rulers they did rule from pune mm. right in mm. the south mm. or in central india yeah, okay yeah. they did, did, they had an empire there no doubt but as far as north india or northwest is concerned they were simply come in raid pillage burn accumulate wealth and go, go back, back go back to their okay. base they occupied lahore mm. they came very close to peshawar mm. marathas mm. okay um marathas had occupied delhi at times and they had committed atrocities you cannot take that away from them marathas was the most devastating force in indian history in the 18th century they caused more damage to india than anyone else did i am saying this with confidence Marathas destroyed the Mughal empire the Mughals made India a single entity of course we will claim that Ashoka had done it before in mm. the ancient times he had occupied all of India he made it one of course no no doubt but recent times the recent history not very far distant from us Mughals were the ones were the that first, came the closest to bring it to a single yeah, entity absolutely they united India as one entity India before that was not one entity there was no such thing as such thing as india there was mm. no india mm. there was no bharat mm. okay the territory was there mm. but it was divided into different principalities mm. governing by different systems vijayanagar empire mm. in the south which was uh, hindu yeah. okay and hindu in what sense different following different deities diff- having different temples different system altogether to rajputs in rajputana for example mm. in rajasthan current yeah, rajasthan yeah. in this region uh, they were different to the hindus of bengal and this is why we find uh, you know this is a, there is a very interesting book written uh, by richard eaton richard m eaton who is an american scholar what's it called on indian history uh, the book is called the persianite the persianate age okay the persianate age and he discusses the history of uh, the persian political uh, authority in india from 1000 to 1700 okay. so almost 700 years mm. and he talks about this that how hindu kings were invading other hindu territories uh, and desecrating temples of other hindu kings mm. because temples were seen as symbols of power, power for those respected yeah. kings so 
once you demolish the temple, once you break the idol or the deity, um, then that demoralizes the army and the and the king, and the king loses power. So Hindus were doing this, right? So Marathas were doing exactly the same thing. They were going into other Hindu territories and they were fighting. And at times they were signing contracts and they were in agreements with Muslims. They had peace with Muslim entities. Mm. So Marathas were not necessarily a Hindu representation of power in India in any sense. They did try to uh, revive Hindu Pad Padshahi. They called it that we want to install our own emperor in Delhi vis-a-vis mm. um, -vis the Mughals mm. so that we can have a Hindu uh, government in India, a Hindu empire. They tried that. Mm. They even talked about it. But how Hindu were they is the question. Mm. How Hindu were they? They came with their unique form of Hinduism, which was very, very devastating. I mean, uh, you would forget, if you read about Marathas, mm. you would forget about atrocities committed by uh, Nazis. And I mean, I know the comparison is wrong. It can be anachronistic. Mm. Okay. But you would forget about atrocities committed by, committed by ISIS and Nazis and, and uh, you know, are they Stal Stalin. Are there Hindu scholars and historians who say what you say? Yes. 100%. Really? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you read all major Hindu, I don't know how Hindu are they. I mean, they are secular Hindus or they're liberal Hindus or whether they're Hindu Hindu. I don't know how Hindu they are, mm. but they have Hindu names mm. and there are uh, scholars who have talked about this. So, yeah. I, so do you ever foresee a situation, if the situation doesn't get better yeah. for the Muslims of India, mm. do you ever see, you can write, you can write Sheikh Hasina off the, off, off, write her off, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but do you ever foresee Pakistan allowing some Muslims of India to come? And settle. Absolutely. Why not? If they had to, but it would be very sad if they had to do that. And I believe India is a beautiful country. Uh, it's a great country with great minds, great intellectuals, beautiful people, beautiful cultures. Okay. Uh, we want India to flourish. We want. Uh, I'm speaking as a Muslim. Mm. Okay. And I am. I'm very certain that the majority of the Pakistani Muslims and Bengali Muslims mm. share my sentiment mm. in this regard. We want. Uh, peace in India. If there is peace in India, there's peace in Bangladesh and Pakistan. Of course. Okay. We want India to be a peaceful port. We want to be able to visit India. Mm. I want the borders to be opened. There would be trade between Pakistan, India and Bangladesh. Imagine how rich these countries would become. Mm. The only reason we do not have this trade or this cordial relationship between the governments, not the people. The people love each other. Believe me, if the borders are lifted, Okay, the barriers are lifted. Mm. Delhi would be in Lahore mm. within within two weeks. Mm. And Lahore would be in Delhi. Mm. Muslims from Pakistan, they would be driving through the border from Lahore. But he also, posi but he also poses some threats. Why? To, ha to have such well, a if you have peace, why would there be threats? But there can't be peace because the two very countries were founded upon the antagonism and, and the no, existential not, threat of not, each other. Not necessarily. It, it, the, the, the bitterness came because of Kashmir. Not necessarily. Two countries don't have to be uh, against each other, fighting each other till death. No, 
but they oh. but but the, but the founding of those respective states states were based upon religious lines, and therefore it poses an existential hmm. issue why you can't have such as idealistic and I'm sure as good as it may be, it also hmm. poses threats of atungwadis and terrorists and raw agents and ISI agents and all kinds of madness happening across borders. No, this is happening because of the problem of Kashmir. I'm telling you, this this all boils down to Kashmir, the Kashmir crisis. If both governments can sit down together, like Imran Khan has been saying repeatedly, that if we sit down and we discuss, but the problem is, how do you discuss with someone like Modi? But Adnan, how do you talk to someone like Amit Shah but Adnan, okay? Adnan, or I, Yogi Adityanath? Look, let me just ask you. Let me just ask you something very honest, bro. Yeah. yeah? Mm-hmm. How can a handspan of Kashmir mm-hmm. ever legitimately be part of India? It could either be independent or part of Pakistan. That's yes. the way I see it. Yes. How can it ever be a part of India? Yes. It, 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 it doesn't it, make sense. Yeah, it and it was annexed yeah, by force. Exactly. So yes. it can only ever be an independent Kashmir, which is yeah. of late, last 10-15 years, yes. we're a lot more sentiments yeah. for it, or a part of Pakistan. Or let the Kashmiri people decide their yeah, fate. Yes, yeah. Let, let them... Uh, let let the international community, which is mostly sleeping when Muslims are being brutalized around yeah. the world, and unfortunately, the, the, this term "international community" has become an insult. It has become an insult when mm. people, when these global leaders mm. use the term "international community," mm-hmm. it is useless. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Mm-hmm. When Muslims are being brutalized all over the world, mm. this international community is sleeping. Okay. Mm. When when a donkey dies somewhere, or when a dog, I mean, rightly so, we need to make no, we, we need to protect animals as much as mm. we. Need to protect um, humans, right? But there is more noise for animals, animals, animal rights around the world. For and some is, reason, this is why Muslims need to wake up globally, mm. and they're trying to wake up. Mm. Uh, mashallah, recently the Kuala Lumpur um, summit uh, summit was uh, a breeze of fresh air. It was very encouraging. The okay. Muslim leaders are now realizing that they need to do something about this because which Imran Khan was pressured from not attending. Un- unfortunately, unfortunately, there was a mistake. I, I don't think uh, the Pakistani government should should have taken that course. But politics is a very dirty game. Saudi positive yeah. that way will take away four million laborers of Pakistan from Saudi yes. and give it to Bangladesh. And, they, and, they, and then they will pull out the money that they've they, that they've uh, deposited to the Pakistan uh, bank, and uh, for that reason, Imran Khan did not attend. You're right about that, but then Iran was there, and Saudi Arabia does not want to sit with pe- people. I mean, or, or the regimes like Iran, Iran, Iranian regime has completely devastated the region. But the okay. new Ottoman Sultan yeah. Erdogan was there also. Yes, so, he was. So, the, so what uh, I'm saying I, is, I, and I, I believe, I believe he's a better politician. I believe he's a better politician. He knows politics. Okay, and coming back to his uh, condolences sent to Iran. For the loss of the general is politics. I'm sure he doesn't sympathize with what he had done in Syria. Even I'm I am very sure Erdogan does not sympathize with the actions of Iran in Syria, in Yemen, and in Iraq. So even politic. So you saying even reportedly rep- uh, referring to Soleimani as Shahid, reportedly. Okay. Is that also siyaset as well? Yes. Unfortunately, it's politics. So Sunnis are into political taqiyya, then, isn't it? I wouldn't call it taqiyya. It's politics. It's politics. Donald Trump, uh. okay, uh, or or just like just like <laughs> President Reagan, okay, yeah. uh, praising the Afghan Mujahideen as the as, noble, as the as, and and so, uh, to to an extent that they had to make make Rambo three yeah. to to glorify <laughs> the Afghan cause. Okay, these very terrorists were at that time. Okay, that was political taqi on yeah. the part of the government. <laughs> governments, leaders always do it. Okay, they always speak a language which they don't actually mean. So okay? back to Kashmir. This is why, hence the hence the claim that they are a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah. yeah. But if they are not hypocrites, and mm. I'm, I'm using inverted mm. commas, mm. okay, then how would they govern? Mm. If every single leader said his mind mm. and what what is in his heart, 
do you think he would be a leader anymore people would you know uh, you know so do you think Trump states everything he I mean what he, is he, uh, he, no you're going to say that and the, you knew the answer was yes he literally does tweet everything in his mind I don't think so I think what he has inside him is far worse than <laughs> the what, what he tweets what, what, what comes out of his mouth yes. so back to Kashmir right if yeah. you're saying that a lot of the antagonism and the friction and the existential threat is because of Kashmir how can I know it's a huge topic a topic which you touched upon in a previous podcast if I brought some Islam 21 see when the whole article 370 thing was happening how can you ever sit down in a meaningful way about Kashmir when you know the realistic sentiment and outcome of the people of that region will either be Pakistan or independent and never India look it only makes sense as you clearly stated any sane um, person looking at Kashmir demographically would simply say it belongs to Pakistan or an independent kashmir uh, if the kashmiris want, want independence that. then it should be an independent kashmir because kashmiris clearly don't want to be governed by india mm. uh, let alone a bjp government mm. which is uh, which has imposed a curfew which it hasn't lifted S- to still date there. unfortunately uh, this is a concentration camp yeah. and the world is sleeping again yeah. the international community mm. doesn't care about it mm. they don't care about the rohingyas They, they didn't care about the Rohingyas. They didn't care about uh, what was happening to uh, people in Syria, what's happening in Yemen. What's the in fact, they are inflating the fire of war. Mm. They are actually pushing, pumping money and weapons into this region to inflate the conflict further. Okay, so so violence against Muslims is somehow, unfortunately, you know, tacitly approved of. It's approved. it is fine not enough action should be taken against this violence but violence by muslims rightly or wrongly okay we have both problems unfortunately is top of the agenda uh, is top of the agenda mm. the muslims cannot be radicalized the muslims have no right to defend themselves when they do uh, even the legitimate uh, movements when they are actually fighting for the survival and for resisting. example and and resisting mm. uh, genocide Uh, I'm talking about Rohingya Muslims. Mm-hmm. They were facing a genocide. Hundreds of thousands of women have been raped. Who who cares? Mm. In Bengali camps, go and look at them. Yeah, yeah. Okay, those women who have come Mass there, rapes. They, they, they are pregnant. Mm. Hundreds. I'm to, I'm saying hundreds of thousands. Mm. Okay, go and watch Al Jazeera reports, mm. BBC reports, BBC which is seen to be relatively biased against Muslims. Unfortunately, mm. okay, people think that, and I don't know how. true that is their uh, propaganda uh, is far more sophisticated it's yes absolutely yeah. bbc is the yes. most sophisticated yes. propaganda outlet in the world absolutely absolutely i agree so something needs to be done about kashmir kashmir is a very very disturbing case and the world is sleeping on it and there are two nuclear powers standing against each other as imran khan warned in the united nations uh, uh, you know in uh, when he did his speech that it is not um, um uh, a simple matter you need to think about these mm. two nuclear nuclear armed states mm. if they were to fight each other over this territory what would happen to the world these are not the bombs of hiroshima and nagasaki these are this is different technology mm. okay this is different technology this is a completely different game altogether mm. okay the world needs to take it seriously just like the iran and uh, us tensions need to be taken seriously and everyone needs to calm down mm. because innocent people will die i mm. know what's going to happen mm-hmm. okay america will come with this might 
with all the weapons and all the missiles to try new technology on the people of Iran mm. and the people of Iraq and the people of the region mm. at large and Iran will retaliate who will who will die the innocent civilians. people, innocent people we don't want that we don't want wars we want peace we want peace in the world that's why we hope that India comes to its senses we hope sanity morality and justice prevails in India those people who are uh, supporting and backing the Muslim cause and it's not the Muslim cause by the way this is a war this is a battle for the soul of India this is what the people are saying this is a battle for the soul of India it's the survival of India does India want to become a Nazi style xenophobic hateful bigoted it's already violent there. state it's already it, become, it is already it, it currently it is unfortunately yeah. or does India want to become uh, a progressive enlightened um, peaceful inclusive state inclusive state that leads the world in uh, in all these areas if it, so, car- if it carries on the way it is yeah. if the trajectory continues the way it is hmm. do you see the birth of resist Muslim resistance hmm. uh, who will take to arms to protect their communities and, and if, I if hope it doesn't come to that I really I mean I don't like to talk about war I don't I mean I am no, but it's a, I'm not a pacifist I, 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 I believe in Islam but no but it happens everywhere it happens everywhere because yeah. because we, we see that there were pockets of resistance amongst the Rohingya there were pockets of resistance amongst the Uyghurs I, there's I, resistance I, in Kashmir I, I believe resist- Muslims will be the victims if anything like that happens in India and I really wish I really hope it doesn't come to that I really hope uh, that the current movement is successful and this government is you know we get rid of this government and somehow I hope it, it is voted out in the ne- next election in India and someone who is sensible comes to power so that we can resolve the Kashmir issue and then reduce xenophobia in this politics of uh, hate and communalism mm-hmm. right I really hope that I really hope it doesn't come to that but if it came to that mm. it's a big if then the Muslims will be the victims okay Muslims are a minority they are scattered they are very weak economically most Muslims are poor they're very poor and even the rich Muslims are very marginalized they're very very much cornered so I hope it doesn't come to that because Muslims will be the losers in this okay but again if someone's coming to your house to your, and to your trying area, to, to, your try, community, try, trying to, to your rape shops. your daughter in front of your eyes, you have to defend your daughter. Mm. You have to defend your family. Mm. And Bring, I hope it doesn't come to that. Yeah. Bringing the podcast to a kind of a close, uh, you, may, you said something earlier in the podcast. You said, how Hindu were the Marathas? So I ask you, how Islamic were the Mughals? The Mughals... With exception to Aurangzeb. Okay, the Mughals were Islamic when it suited them. With, with again the, with the exception of Aurangzeb mm. okay uh, other Mughals used Islam to their advantage for mm. example Akbar used Islam to his advantage and then he abandoned Islam altogether he apostatized uh, and in fact he was is there any Jamal on this by the uh, way absolutely there's absolutely. a consensus that Akbar uh, was a, was a Murtad absolutely there is historical consensus on this I mean, what do you mean Murtad I mean he, he, he initiated a new religion called mm. Deen Elahi mm. it was published on his coins so if you look at his early coins from his uh, the, from the early part of his reign I wish I could um, you, you even reminded me to bring I the coins I <laughs> did uh, but I think what, what we can do in the future inshallah yeah. we can do a podcast 
assessing your coins. Yes, specifically yeah. uh, looking at some of the Islamic coins and history around them because there's a lot to talk about yeah. with numismatic evidence. Okay. okay. A lot. You will see theology. You will see politics in the coins. Really? Absolutely. No, because minting is a representative of the of the thinking of respect. You will see the in the quality of silver. Mm. Where did the silver come come from? The messages on the coins. The propaganda. The name of the king. Why? Mm. The military yeah, yeah. Uh, element. Okay, coins minted on March, for mm. example. Mm. There are mints on March. The army is on the move, and the coins are being minted in the camp. And there's a mint called Urdu Zafar Karin. Okay, that means uh, the the military mint, which is on the move. Yeah. So those coins. So there's a lot to talk about. Coming okay. back to the issue of uh, how Islamic, Islamic were, the were the Mughals. So Jahangir obviously made Toba, Akbar's son, mm. and he, uh, to la to a large extent, he disowned his father's legacy and became a Muslim. Mm. Right. But how Muslim was he? He was a drunkard. Mm. He was into music. Okay, and. Um, he was just uh, just an Indian king. You know, when these bigots talk about Mughals being the embodiment of Islam, they don't know what they're talking about. Even the first Mughal emperor, Babur, mm. was into drinking. He conf he confessed to this in his Babur Nama, in his memoir, personal memoir. Humayun was an opium addict. Okay, he, uh, he, one of the reasons people believe he died did, was because he did these was, did these rulers acknowledge what they were doing was sinful? Of course. Absolutely, they acknowledged this, and they were very mystical as well. They were, they had Islam in them, no doubt. You cannot take Islam away from any of them, apart from Akbar. Mm. Apart, they all had elements of Islam to their characters, all of them. In fact, they had Ghira for Islam, mm. including Babur. Look at his coins; it has Shahada on it. Mm. Okay, mm. Uh, Hamayun, the same thing, right? Akbar had Shahada and the name of the four caliphs on his coins. In in sorry, in terms of their governance, then. In terms of the governance, it, it, because they governed a largely Hindu domain, they did not impose Islam on the Hindus. Uh, Islam was never imposed. When people say jizya was imposed on the Hindus, did they have jizya? That doesn't, of course, yes, yes, jizya was there. And did they apply it to the Hindus? Akbar abolished it. Okay. Akbar ab abolished it, and Aurangzeb reinstated it in. Did they have hudud? Um, partly, yes, yes, uh, they were there. Of course, uh, during the Delhi Sultanate period, hudud were. Partially implemented where it was possible. Well, what about the Mughals? The Mughals is a very complicated situation. You see, uh, Mughals never got the chance to do it. Why? Because their history was full of so much turmoil. Uh, Babur only governed for four years. He couldn't. He could barely con consolidate his power. Hamayun uh, governed for ten years, and then he was ousted by his general Sher mm. Shah Suri, mm. who was very Islamic, mm. very Islamic. So within the Muslim domain, they had Islamic principles governing them. Mm. Okay, this these principles were not imposed on Hindus. Hindus were simply left alone to govern by their own systems, as and they were vessels. They were vessels to the Mughals, right? Mm. Uh, and uh, they, they paid taxes to the Mughals like all other principalities, mm. Muslims and non-Muslim. Uh, when they became under the Mughal rule, mm. they would pay taxes to the, to the central uh, treasury, right? So as far as the Mughal household was concerned, they were governed by a mixture of Islamic, Turkic and Persianate protocol. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, so, so to understand so, that, you will have to read some of the books. No, because even yeah. the Ottomans, yeah. uh, we had this conversation uh, yeah. not too long ago yeah. over Donna Kebab. Um, mm -hmm. The Ottomans also had a number of Turkic 
values and principles which they didn't feel was in conflict with, with when we with, say with Turkic Islam. just to clarify for the audience not t- uh, modern day Turkey uh, uh, yeah. Turkic, Turkic means Central Asian Central Asian uh, protocols yeah, yeah of course and, yeah. so there were certain obviously tribalistic values and principles uh, and, and that they didn't feel was in conflict with their conception of Islam so they kept those things as part of their systems yes. in the same way in which when Umar ibn Khattab and when they took over the lands of Persia there's certain systems which they kept is that, are we in agreement with that? Yes. I mean, one example in the case of the Ottomans is the strangling of all the siblings. Yeah, the, the, uh, the, the fratricide. Uh, yeah, fratri- yeah, yeah, the fratricide yeah. element of the Ottoman. But the ulama system. justified that by saying uh, that the death of one prince is better than the death no, of the No, because they, what they, were, what they, they were actually facing devastation. A lot of these princes would completely devastate the state fighting for... No, that policy uh, was born out of the Ottoman interregnum where Sultan Murad's three sons went to war with each other. Yes. He destroyed the entire after, state. After the death of uh, Bajizid, uh, yeah. Sultan Bajizid, mm. his three sons yeah. fought each other. And then Ottoman Empire yes, nearly crumbled. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Ottoman Empire nearly crumbled. So the ulama came yeah. and, and they said, that, look, it's actually better to kill respective princes. Than but later on, the, later on, it was uh, they realized... Yeah, Sultan Ahmed was, abandoned that. Yeah, Sultan abandoned that and then, then they used imprisonment. Or exile. Of, Exile or yeah. imprisonment yeah. As, yeah. as a better option, but this option was absolutely barbaric, of okay. course, yeah. and, and it came from the Turks yeah. rather than exactly. Islam. Yes. But they tried to Islamify it's, it, Islamify, but, Islamify but, it, but they failed. Yeah. They failed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, even they found, I mean, as barbaric or as uncivilized by our standards, yeah. those times were, even they had, you know, yeah. problems with this. Hold yeah. on. How, how do we rationalize yeah. Yeah. this behavior fratricide? But in the case of the Mughals who also followed. Turkic system because mm. Mughals were originally Turkic. Yeah, Turk okay. or Persian. Yeah, uh, yeah Turk or Persian. Um, they also had concerns about wars of succession because when the emperor would die, these sons would fight it out. They would have to, and they had this slogan, this principle they lived by. All the Mughal princes, each prince was an establishment in his, in himself. You know, some of the Mughal princes, the the provinces they governed, were larger than. Pakistan and Bangladesh put together today. For example, one Mughal prince would be given Gujarat. It's a huge region. Another one would be given Dakkan. Dakkan is all of South India. Then one would be uh, the governor of Bengal. It's huge territory. Bengal. Are you saying that they were autonomous rulers of those? Uh, They were semi-autonomous. They they, they, they answered back uh, to the emperor in Delhi or Agra. Mm. Okay. Uh, and they would have to obey the emperor. And if they rebelled against the emperor, the emperor would muster his might and army. He would uh, and amazingly, um, you see Hindu generals in the political and the military landscape of the Mughal Empire mm. all the way. They are always present. They are never marginalized. They are never uh, basically discriminated against in the sense that, oh, you're a Hindu. Mm. You cannot get involved in our fight. No, there were Hindu Rajas with their own armies who joined the Mughal cause. And they were, they were in some cases, they were more loyal to the Mughals than the Mughals themselves. Because a Mughal prince is fighting against father. And who's fighting the prince? Yeah. The Hindu, the Mughals, Hindu, the Hindu, Hindu king. Generals, yeah. A Rajput Hindu yeah. king fighting the Mughal prince mm. for the Mughal emperor. And he's losing his own Hindu men mm. to keep the emperor on throne. Yeah. These things are not known, unfortunately, to the masses. Mm. They are brainwashed. They are conditioned. Mm. This is why history... Real history has to be taught. And you know, historians are going through a lot, a lot of trouble in India. True historians, objective historians, they can't even speak their mind in India anymore. Mm. Okay, Audrey Trushk, the lady who has written uh, this recent book on Aurangzeb Alamgir, an introduction to Aurangzeb's life. 
Aurangzeb uh, uh, is a very good book. It's a must read for the Muslims of India in particular and the Muslims of the world at large. Because Aurangzeb is someone, Rahimullah, is someone who's actually consistently now of late being demonized. Yes, as an ISIS. And not even now. Not I mean, uh, demonization of Aurangzeb started during the British period. But it's happening a lot now. And that is revived now. That historical tradition. Which was very biased. That he was radical. He was extreme. He implemented Sharia laws. He oppressed Hindus. Da, 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 da. When did this narrative come about? Is the As question. You mentioned, the British period. During the colonial period, the mm. British, particularly, specific, specifically, systematically, created this narrative to divide the Muslims and the Hindus. So to get the Hindus to hate the Muslim past of India, they created villains like Aurangzeb and Tipu Sultan. Mm. Okay. Uh, who are two of our heroes. Uh, Yes, absolutely. Muslim, absolutely. And then the Muslims uh, inflated their legacies mm. to counter that narrative. As a reaction to that. As a reaction to that. But the truth is in the middle. Mm. The truth is in the middle. The British narrative, unfortunately, the colonial British narrative was adopted some early 20th century historians in mm. India, such such as Jadu Nath Sarkar. Mm. Okay? He upheld that narrative mm. of Aurangzeb's barbarity and mm. his, uh, his extremism and all that. Mm. Okay? And then later on, the BJP... Uh, government adopted that narrative but the historians the real historians people like for example you know um, Mudajar for mm. example uh, people like Richard Eaton okay F.F. Richards okay uh, Audrey Trushk Muniz Farooqi okay and um, uh, you know Irfan Habib all these people major Indian historians who have written on the history of India I'm talking about Indian as well as Western historians they are all unanimous on one point that the BJP government's narrative of history is redundant it is ahistorical it is not history it is bigotry mm. they, they are all unanimous on this mm. all major serious historians they don't see history in black and white history has trends it has nuances which bigotry and uh, prejudice fails to detect, unfortunately. <laughs> so for this reason, we must study the history of the Mughals more carefully. And they were far more complex than one may think today. Are you saying, are you then saying that for the Mughals, the attempt to perhaps Islamize or implement Sharia and implement Islam was far more difficult because they were a minority always amongst a majority Hindu state? Sorry, repeat that question. Would you, so what, would you then suggest that the Ottomans were successful because for all their faults and shortcomings and, we, and, I, and whenever I discuss the topic of history in my articles and lectures I always mm. say that never do Muslims or should Muslims present our civilizations as utopia would you agree? 100% because you, once you do that yeah. there will be so many instances where it was not a utopia absolutely internal absolutely. war um, you know unjust rulers we must talk about all the atrocities committed by mm. some of the Muslim kings because it happened what we can talk about is the general pattern of the Muslim civilization exactly okay comparatively it was a trends lot patterns and themes yes. yeah, yeah. And, 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 and an aspiration to rule by certain and the, pat the patronage of um, uh, civilized um, pastimes yes. for example Muslim kings in India repeatedly uh, you know provided patronage to art mm. calligraphy uh, scientific advancement mm. uh, copying of manuscripts, you know, uh, all sorts of things, uh, monuments, architecture, okay. Some of the most beautiful monuments in India uh, are Muslim uh, Muslim monuments. You know, Qutub Minar is, mm. a, is, 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 a, is an epitome of 
Islamic art. Again, I think historians would even testify that whether it's Mughal India mm. or whether it's uh, Abbasid Baghdad yeah. or Umayyad Andalus, mm. there was always an attempt to contribute and not just contribute but to uplift the intellectual standards of humanity. Absolutely, right? 100%. That was the general pattern of the Muslim civilization. Okay, but that said, the Ottomans from easily from late to mid 15th century all the way up to Khalif Abdul Hamid's time, there is an entire archive in Turkey where there was a strong emphasis in ruling by Islam, ruling by Hanafi um, fiqh and its codification of Sharia, etc, etc, right? And there was a massive emphasis in the Ottoman rulers, you know, re-exerting themselves as khulafa of the Islamic domains, etc, etc. You said to me off camera a couple of days ago that that journey was starkly different for the Mughals because of their demographic reality. Absolutely, absolutely. Mughals were governing a completely different world to the Ottomans. The Ottomans were predominantly ruling uh, either Muslims. Mus- either Muslims the Muslims or Christians yeah. in the yeah, country. Look, in Central Europe. Asia, for example, Asia Minor mm. is predominantly Muslim. By the time Ottomans come to power, Asia Minor is already Muslim. So is North Africa. So the, Byzantines the, lost, the Byzantines lost Asia Minor in the mm. 11th century. Mm. Okay. Uh, the Battle of Manzikert yeah. in 1071. With the Seljuks. Uh, the Seljuks, the Seljuks won the battle and mm. the Byzantines had to abandon yep. Asia Minor. Yep. So by the time Ottomans come to power in 1299, if mm. you want to put your... But Asia Minor, guys, we're talking about uh, modern-day Anato- well, Anatolia. Anatolia, right? Anatolia, Anatolia modern-day Turkey. Yep. The, the landmass of yep. Turkey, yep. right? Uh, because people think Turkey is Istanbul. No, no Istanbul not. is just yeah, a It's just a dot. part that for, yeah, uh, yeah. Dot on the right. European side. Exactly. It. So this was already Muslim, mm. right? So Ottomans were predominantly governing a Muslim domain where it was needed for them to implement Islam. Okay, mm. But with the Mughals, the Mughals were governing uh, an, uh, an immense landmass, which, land which was predominantly Hindu. So the, the Mughals have, Muslims have always been a minority in this domain that governed for nearly uh, nearly uh, eight centuries. So what made Aurangzeb unique to all other Mughal sultans? Okay, Aurangzeb did not enforce Islam on the Hindus. This is a huge misconception. But he introduced he did not Islam. forcefully convert anyone. This is a lie again, mm. peddled by BJP-inspired, uh, uh, you know, pseudo-historians mm. or pseudo-intellectuals, okay? Aurangzeb did not have a policy to force Islam upon anyone. He did impose jizya, okay, which in my opinion was not pragmatic for him to do that. Mm. Okay, that caused problems. But why did he do that? Historians discuss it. He did that to punish the Rajputs for their rebellions because the Rajputs, they started to rebel against Aurangzeb at that time. They found him to be weak. He was uh, involved in the south fighting... um, uh, some uh, some of the I mean before I mean Aurangzeb moved to the south in the 80s mm. 1680s uh, jizya was imposed in 1676 mm. right and it was done as a response to some of the Rajput rebellions okay, in the north in the north as as a form of punishment he did this okay. But he didn't want to convert the Hindus to Islam. But he did have an. But he did. He have an actually agenda. funded temples. Did you know that? I didn't know that. From, yeah, from the state treasury, there are there are farmans. Okay. Okay. That's pretty crazy. It's it's online. Okay. If you Google Aurangzeb funding temples, you will go to a website where you will see Persian documents, original documents, where he funded the uh, the repair or the restoration of temples. Uh, and he did not, I mean, when people say he was out to demolish temples, again, this is another 
lie, a misrepresentation of history. He did. If he wanted to demolish all the temples in his domain, there would be no temples in India. But he did okay. seek to kind of minimize or at least abolish things like the proliferation of drinking, opium, music, public bathing, and, and these within are, the Muslim domain. Within the Muslim domain. Okay, this has to be clarified. Yeah. People think this was all over the. Uh, the no, no. Within, within no, the Hindus were still into. In fact. A scholar, she has written an article on uh, suppression of music during the reign of Aurangzeb. Mm -hmm. She has argued, to the contrary, music became more of, um, of, of, of um, you know, it became more prominent as a pastime during the reign of Aurangzeb than ever before. Why? Because uh, more scholars, more musicians, more people were uh, getting involved in music. Uh, during the reign of Aurangzeb, one one of the incidents is cited very often to paint Aurangzeb as a as, a, as an enemy of music in mm. India. Okay, he couldn't suppress music uh, within the Hindu community. Mm. Hindus love music. So you saying okay. these things he implemented in Muslim domain? And within the Muslim domain, okay, none of this uh, shenanigans in his court. Basically, bowing to the emperor, mm. they called it Cornish. Mm. Basically, you bow. Uh, to the emperor and uh, you know wave your hand three yeah, yeah. times yeah. He, he abolished all that that you do not bow to anyone other than Allah mm. okay he lived a very simple life this is testified to by European travelers mm. who saw him in his simplicity it's people like Bernier people like Manucci okay who was a physician an Italian physician who was working within the Mughal court at the time uh, people like Tavernier as well we have European travelers who had traveled through the Mughal world at the time and they were completely blown away by the might and the splendor of the Mughal Empire. The Europeans at the time were so uh, shocked at the, the splendor of the Mughal Empire that they had to come back and they had to tell their people, you don't know what you're losing. You need to trade with India mm. so that you can And then the Dutch East India Company, then the British East India Company, and then lo and behold, uh, that's another history. Uh, for to see what happened after that, you must read William Dalrymple's *The Anarchy*. His okay. new book, very very powerful book, very important. Um, although he uh, said negative negative things about Aurangzeb Alamgir in this mm. book, for political <clears throat> reasons because he lives in India and he wants to stay in India, so yeah. we can give him the benefit of the doubt that he was doing it for for his safety and well-being in India, mm. because Audrey Trusk. Yeah. Uh, who was also an historian and uh, she has written this book on Aurangzeb yeah. she actually you know picked on this particular issue that why did you follow that redundant narrative on Aurangzeb in your book Anarchy which is well researched otherwise yeah. but when it comes to Aurangzeb you're painting him as a villain why is that and it is clear that he did that too to conclude on this specific issue if we were to have a comparative look at the Mughal Empire Mm -hmm. and the Ottoman Empire and both Dola and both states and we look at the way in which they governed by the rules in which they governed in which they uh, implemented it both in the lands and domains where it was predominantly non-Muslim and Muslim would it be fair to say for whatever contextual reasons and nuances that the Ottomans their, their governance was far more Islamic than that of the Mughals I would say Ottomans were more Islamically driven than the Mughals were. I would say that. I would accept that. You know why? Because the Ottomans are facing a completely different reality. Their expansion was into, at that time, uh, non-Muslim territory, and they justified they justified their expansion mm. by using Islamic uh, 
literature and Mr. that's Mughal. why they had to adopt this islamic identity mm. okay to instill the passion within the forces okay in india that wasn't the case because indian forces or indian uh, armies are far more mixed than Mi- yeah, yeah. than than ottoman so indian the moguls were facing a completely different reality so perhaps it is not fair to compare the two uh, they both played immensely important roles Huge within roles. the making of the and islamic civilization globally and they both and had a lot of similarities a, a lot of similarities turco persian heritage they were yeah. both for hanafi yes they were both would Absolutely. identify themselves either maturidi or ashari but yes. yeah they yes. were both considered and, and sufi inclined sufi inclined very much so. sufi inclined so they had the a lot of similarities the, absolutely a lot, absolutely. Similarities. a lot of similarities uh they were far apart from each other uh mm. geographically but at the same time they both dynasties mm. are hugely important and i beg the muslims to wake up. i beg mm. from the muslims to wake up because please wake up because many study. of the challenges are relevant to our situation our, today. our situations today and please study to take inspiration from their legacies their mm. positive legacies mm. and 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 disown their mistakes completely not repeat them because mm. they made many mistakes sure. okay they did many things that we cannot own today we cannot say okay these things are right i mean um So we have to wake up to our history, take lessons from their legacies, mm. and take inspiration at the same time. Adam by Zakhlaher, for your presence, for your contribution for today's podcast, I find it very beneficial, and it's always a pleasure to discuss history, especially with you. Um, every Blood Brothers podcast ends by giving three options to our guests. Uh, it was inspired by the early call of the the Sahaba and those who used to go to new lands and say. accept islam pay the jizya or it's war but obviously we don't do that with our muslim guests and i don't think things could be applied on a podcast in that way but what we tend to tell we our guests we don't live in those times anymore <laughs> we may see those times again you don't know maybe not in our lifetime we may see those times again don't worry about the political correctness yeah but usually i offer an arm wrestle or a thumb war or you have to try some bond with me okay I'll let you choose. <laughs> I'll go for the pan. Yeah? I would rather not arm wrestle. Well, okay. we, do you think you'd beat yeah. me? Uh, no, I I think I'm not. What was that tobacco? No, no. I hope I hope I hope not. Why would I give you that for? <laughs> Look like it looked. It's beetle nut and it's leaf. Okay, it's, guys. It's it's kora, but it's not got the tobacco. This in is there. this is to revive the legacy of the Mughals of India. Bismillah. Brothers and sisters, Sakhlah here for tuning in. Uh, please share this video, like the video, leave a comment for our viewers from North America. Subscribe to the Mad Mamluks channel, um, and until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam. Blood Brothers Podcast. Five pillars of Mad Mamluks production. Would you eat? Yeah. It's not much of a pawn, man. <laughs> this this, no, this, this is only the leaf and the the no, chalia. No, no.